tuned into Black Hollywood Live, the world's first digital broadcast network devoted entirely to urban entertainment and pop culture. Tune in right now. Hey, what's going on, my beautiful people? It's Thursday. Welcome inside the Black Actors Studio. I'm your host, Danny Royce. I hope everyone's staying safe, staying healthy, and staying in, and staying sane amongst these uh, crazy times. So, um, But today is a very special day. I have a great episode in store for you all. Uh, I have one of uh, a great talent. He's an actor. Um, very funny. You've seen him in Smart Guy, The Morning Show, 50 uh, States of Fright, In the Cut, uh, so many more. And he's coming out in A Paradise Lost, which you can see it premiering April 13th. This guy is incredible. Please welcome the Black Actors Studio. Is very proud to have John Marshall Jones. How you doing, man? Hey, everything's good. How you doing, Danny? I'm blessed, man. I'm blessed. We are here. We're doing a virtual interview. You know, couldn't couldn't be in person at these times, but you know, I'm I'm grateful. Thank you so much for sitting down and giving us your time today. Well, you know, welcome to the virtual world, brother. Um, <laughs> we here. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, it is a um, uh, a decent substitute, uh, but I can't wait till we can get back to real life. Right. That part. For I sure. gotta miss hanging out with people. I, I didn't think I liked people before yeah. all this, and yeah. now I realize, you know, I, I miss y'all. I'll be glad to see y'all, y'all again. <laughs> y'all, <laughs> right? We get back to that. Um, but I want to say congratulations uh, for Paradise Lost. Uh, we're gonna talk about a, a lot more later on in the uh, in the show. But uh, just give us an overall about what the the, the story is about, and then how your character plays a role in that. Um, <clears throat> Paradise Lost is a Southern Gothic suspense and crime drama. And uh, at the core of it is a crime that happened 15 years prior to the story. A hotel was burned down, some people were killed. Um, they, they framed a brother for the crime and he's been in jail for 15 years. That's the uh, part that I play. Gotcha. Um, my niece, who's played by Danielle Deadweiler, uh, was 10 years old when I got framed for this crime. And now she's in her mid-20s and she's become an investigative reporter. And she's going to go out and dig up the evidence so she can prove that I'm not guilty. Wow. But I don't necessarily want her doing that because I know who framed me. And they are dangerous people. So from jail, I'm trying to talk her into not doing what, you know, when a sister makes up her mind, she getting ready to do something. That right. stuff is done, brother. Right. Right? <laughs> so uh, she makes up her mind. She about to get her Uncle Ronnie out of jail. And yeah, she yeah. digs up all this old dirt that all these old, powerful Southern white men don't want her digging up. Mm. And And that's what the what the story revolves around. Awesome. So that. things come in and out, but at the core is this mystery about who actually did this and what actually happened. Wow. Well, that's a great story. Looking forward to, to seeing that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, and how it was filming and all that on set uh, later on in the show. But first, uh, like we like to do every episode in the beginning, we'd like to start there. Where were you born? Uh, Detroit, Michigan. 
Hey, Detroit. Okay. And uh, how was the family dynamics growing up? Uh, the family dynamic was actually uh, really middle class. You know, we lived on uh, the west side of Detroit. Pretty much as I was growing up, everybody had a job. It's, you know, it was like it had its dangerous element like any city. But if you weren't making yourself a part of that, if you just wanted to graduate high school, go down to the factory, get a job, save up for a year, buy a house, you know, maybe marry your high school sweetheart, have two or three kids. The kids can all go to public school and get a decent education. That's the way it was. And then uh, the auto industry crashed. And part of the reason that everything crashed was that we had elected the first black mayor. His name was Coleman Young in 1972. Mm -hmm. And there then became a power struggle for who was going to run the city. Was it going to be the people or was it going to be business? And finally, after, you know, three, four years of that, business said, okay, you want the city? It's yours. And they picked up General Motors and Ford and Chrysler, and they moved out to the suburbs of Detroit. Mm-hmm. And the city, um, for that, that was the genesis of it. And then for many other reasons, it didn't recover for a long time. Right. And now when you go back to Detroit, you see the city, you know, places of the city are in complete disrepair. Yeah. Right? But that's not the whole city, the way that they try and make it look on TV. That's right. not the right. whole city. There are a lot of prosperous parts of Detroit, but it has pocket neighborhoods that are in complete disrepair. Mm. But when you go outside of Detroit to those suburbs that have been reaping the benefit of having the auto companies as their base of operations, it's all brand new. It's all brand new. Like when I go back, places that were, you know, that we called the woods. If you remember what the woods is, it's just <laughs> woods, just trees right. and growth right. is now highways and malls and big new homes. And it's completely, it's like Orange County. Wow. Right. But with big homes and totally different. <laughs> that's, that's the influence that the support of a Fortune 500 company over 40 years, 50 years, right. uh, that's the kind of influence that can have. So you still, um, do you still visit, like sometimes you visit where you grew up and stuff like that? Back uh, periodically, um, yeah. I'll drive back through there. Mm-hmm. But you know, now I ain't been living there for a long time. I'm kind of a mark. Right. <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> the spot. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's not uh, yeah. that's, uh, my man from Smart Guy. <laughs> yeah, you stay yeah. with your auntie. She stay right there, huh? <laughs> and that's right. Did you have any uh, siblings? Uh, I have a uh, an older sister. Okay. Uh, he was uh, just uh, named one of the top uh, hundred naturopath nat- naturopathic doctors in the country. 
Wow. Congrats uh, to her. Yeah, she practices in uh, in Boston. It's called the uh, Bella Natural Health Clinic. Nice. And uh, and she's the one that actually got me into acting. Oh, okay. All right. Well, so, well hold on to that question. I want to uh, ask you if you had any nicknames. Um, the family called me Johnny Boy. Oh, okay. <laughs> right? Johnny Boy. Johnny Boy, which stood all the way with the family through high school. Okay. You know, so I'd still be going to stuff, and the kids who were coming up in the family that were like five years old would say, Johnny Boy. And I was like, <laughs> hey, you know. <laughs> I'm going to hit you up in your DM. Johnny Boy, what's good? <laughs> you know, you know, and listen, anybody that calls me Johnny Boy has known me my entire life. Wow, that's right? crazy. My entire life. It doesn't go any further back than Johnny Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. So I want to get back into what you said about your sister, because I want to get into like your uh, the foundings of uh, getting the actor's bug, so to speak, and all that, right? So you said your sister got you into that. So explain a little bit more what you mean by that. Well, um, when we were kids, uh, my sister really loved musicals. And so mm. she would get the album, the, the, uh, the 33, of a whole musical. And, uh, you know, she'd get me to learn the songs with her so that we could perform the musicals. And I kind of liked it, I guess. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't remember specifically, but this is the story she tells me. Okay. Right? <laughs> when she wants to remind me of how she's responsible for All my right. success. <laughs> you wouldn't even, you know, if we hadn't started singing Pearly together, you wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> right. She wants her constant remind you. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, okay. really talented lady. Um, That's awesome. She's also an accomplished musician, plays like three or four instruments. And, wow. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's uh, she's something very artistic family. I kind of kind of got into that, huh? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so what was uh, some of your favorite TV shows and films growing up that inspired you along the way? Um, well, the, uh, Bill Cosby had the first, like, black man as a lead on a television show. Right. So definitely, um, that definitely had an influence and, and, uh, you know, he, even in his dramatic acting, he still had that sense of humor, you know, where he could find humor in just about anything. Yeah. Um, that had a tremendous effect on me. Um, the first movie that I remember really being moved by uh, was a movie called Inherit the Wind with uh, Spencer Tracy. Oh, mm. uh, and uh, God, I can't call his name, but uh, and that's a shame. Uh, but but their performances made me feel like acting is something I might want to do. Mm, okay. Right? Their performances were absolutely amazing. Wow. Um, and it was, uh, it was complex because the, the piece itself was about, you know, at the core of it, um, do we believe in religion or do we believe in science? Right, right. Um, and to me, 
as maybe I was, I don't know, eight or nine years old, that was such a fascinating discussion because I've been to church, right? So I knew what the discussion was on that side. Right. But to hear somebody uh, create an alternate story that was just as compelling and be willing to, you know, fight passionately for his voice to be heard was, whew, man, that blew me away. Yeah, wow. Yeah, blew me away. That, yeah, that's definitely a memorable performance for sure. Um, when did you make that move to LA and you actually said, you know what, I'm going to do this? Wow, well, so I was in Chicago and- Hey, Chi-Town. Chi-Town, yeah. <laughs> so I was working, uh, I used to live right across the street from Zany's nightclub. Okay. Um, and uh, I was working at some place doing uh, telephone sales, you know, in like a boiler room. So we had like, you know, 10 guys in a room and we each had a cubicle mm. and we'd get on and we were selling radio airtime to, you know, different markets around the country. So it was like kind of a high energy, you know, uh, thing. Right. And it was for a bunch of cowboys. And it was basically for people that didn't want to have to fill out too much of a job application. Right. <laughs> right. I need a job, but I'm, I'm not really going to make it through the application process. <laughs> so what can I do? Well, we got right. something for you. Right. So, uh, so I was in there with, you know, with a, a very um, colorful room full of characters, mm. right? a colorful yes. room full of characters. So, uh, so anyway, um, one night I'm at home, I come downstairs, uh, I open my door and John Cusack walks right in front of my door, oh, like, just okay. like that. And I knew him from Chicago, I said, hey, Johnny, what's going on? He said, look, uh, we're doing some auditions for a movie tomorrow, you want to audition? I was like, yeah, shit, fuck it, why not? Yeah. <laughs> no, I ain't doing nothing right now. Right. <laughs> so do the audition, I don't hear from him, I go on back to work. And uh, one day I'm in my booth and I'm working, you know, cause the way that we do it is when you make a sale, you would slam the phone down like you were dunking on Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> and then you you say, boom, and you jump up and you say, oh yeah. <laughs> the room would cover their phone and turn around and say, how much? <laughs> say $350 and they go, yeah. Nice they'd raise their hands out of their booth and go back to their, you know, their customer. Oh, uh -huh. sorry, John. I just had, we had a little shake up here with the manager, uh, what I was saying. And while <laughs> I had the hand up, you would run around the room and get five from everybody like you just hit a home run. Oh, nice. Okay. Right? So we had a ritual. So uh, um, I'm on the phone and my manager, uh, a manager from the place says, hey, JJ, you got an incoming call. I'm like, you never get incoming calls. So, you know, hang up. Who is it? It's my agent. He's like, hey, you just got booked in that movie with John Cusack. And they want you to leave on a plane at six o'clock. They need you there tomorrow morning. It was like two in the afternoon. Right? Wow. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. I slammed the phone down. <laughs> I jumped up. I said, oh, yeah. Everybody said, how much? I said, I just got a movie. I'm going to Hollywood. Everybody <laughs> said, yeah. Hey, John, we're going back to you. I want to make sure. 
And I ran around the room and slapped five with everybody and kept running right out the door. <laughs> just kept me going. <laughs> ran right out the door like I was, you know, Bo Jackson running out the door. <laughs> what a story. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> and, and so that was your that was your first like work, right? Your first big gig. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Flew out. Wow. Flew out to LA to do a movie with John Cusack and Tim Robbins called Tapeheads. Mm-hmm. Um, spent all of the money, like by the end of the movie. So I don't, I don't even know how you do that because they have. It's not like they're paying you in cash, right? You actually <laughs> checks, and there's a process. By the end of the movie, I'd spent all of the money. Damn. And I was getting ready to go back to Chicago, go back and, you know, do telephone sales. Right. And um, my agent said, uh, hey, listen, uh, you just booked a movie called Good Morning Vietnam. Mm. And uh, they need you on a plane tomorrow to Bangkok, Thailand. I said, oh, okay, for how long? I said, well, 10 weeks. Wow. I was like, oh, shit. Wow. And next thing I knew, I was 22 years old. I was living at the Hilton in Bangkok with stacks of Thai money that I had to spend each week. Wow. Right? So they give you your per diem. And yeah. your per diem is like $75 a day. Right. But it was 25 Thai bot to the dollar. So every dollar was $25 times mm-hmm. 75 and that Ooh. was my spending money. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> At 22 years old. Right. <laughs> and the rest I can't really get into. But I spent yeah. all the money by the time uh-huh. the movie was over. Man. And came back just in time to be have done two movies and be fairly broke. Wow. Right? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a lot of uh, a lot of learning to do early. Yeah, on. I say you had a lot of learning lessons. You know, um, <laughs> that's great. It's other than the financial part of it. Where what were the other any other challenges that you faced? Like your first time working with, I mean, Tim Robbins and John Cusack. That's amazing. But like being on set, set etiquette, uh, you know, auditioning stuff like that. Well. There's a, there's a lot uh, packed into that question. Yeah. Let me start by, you know, I studied theater at Northwestern. I was well prepared um, with all of the requis- requisite skills to be a professional actor and thought pretty highly of myself. And uh, I booked a production of Hamlet where mm. I got to get on stage with actors that had been doing it professionally for... 30 years in, uh, in a serious theater professional setting. Right. And I can't even tell you what an awakening it was to find out that I really didn't know shit. (laughs) (laughs) What an awakening it was that everything I thought I knew. (laughs) Shit. Wow. that was, I will never forget that as long as I live. Because, you know, I had a pretty sizable ego. Mm. And nobody cut me down 
but everybody showed me how much I had to learn. Wow. Okay. Um, so, you know, and over time, um, out here in Los Angeles, uh, I think the most profound thing is that uh, this is a machine that never stops churning. Yeah. And I say machine because it has particular parts that it needs to run. And every script or every story based on uh, our Hollywood story structure has certain characters that it needs in order for the story arc to play itself out. Right. So for instance, you need a leading man or a leading lady, right? Somebody who you can follow around during the film from their perspective and understand the story or watch their story arc play out and see how much they change. Right. You also need some type of an authority figure. And it's somebody who the leading person has to be accountable to as they make the decisions that help shape their arc. And the authority figure's job is to make sure that they stay on track, right? So in Beverly Hills Cop, you heard a guy say, Foley, get your ass in here. Why the <laughs> hell you run it? Right? You remember that guy? Right. The ultimate authority figure. Yeah. Because he kept Axel Foley on track and on point that somebody's watching. So by right. the end of this, you're going to have to do it right. Right. So it seemed like Foley wasn't listening, but Foley was being guided by the disapproval of his authority figure. Mm, and finally, yeah. when it came down to it, he did it right. And everybody was proud of him. Right. Right. And he became the Beverly Hills cop. Right. That's the job of the authority figure. So I say that to say, if you can identify who those characters are, and choose which one of those you think that you're best at or best suited to uh, physically, uh, best suited to because of your personality, um, you find a lane that you can start directing yourself to to get into the flow of traffic in Hollywood. Mm. Right? Yeah. And that lane is going to change over time. Right? right? So most of us come here thinking, you know, I want it to be about me, right? I want to get the role and I want to show everybody what I can do. Right. And, you know, blessings to you if that happens and you can sustain that. But that's like, you know, 10 people, you know, at any given time. For sure. Everybody else has to figure out what their lane is. Right. You know? If it's a football team, you got to figure out which position you play, right? And then you got to play that to the best of your ability. That's right. Play your position. And awesome. when you learn that, that, that is the most profound lesson to me of Hollywood. And it's taken years to kind of understand how that works so that then I could apply it to my own career and things have really taken off since then. Nice. Well, thank you for that. I know a lot of people, uh, you know, actors and people in the industry who are watching right now can appreciate that because <laughs> definitely good words to hear. 
Um, and I want to thank you again for joining me. And also thank you to everyone who's tuning in, watching right now. Uh, and also shout out to Kevin Undergaro and Maria Menunos for allowing me to bring these awesome guests to you every week and share their amazing stories. So uplifting, inspiring, and motivating. And uh, a shout out to them. Also, you can check out season one, the entire season one of Inside the Black Actors Studio uh, on www.theonchannel.com. You can go ahead and binge that while you're in your quarantine. Uh, but like we're here with John Marshall Jones. I want to get into smart guy one of my favorite shows <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Too. No idea. Like, yeah. <laughs> i mean i used to man i used to watch all the time and i love the family dynamic it was so great just seeing a black family like that on on tv on the screen you know mm -hmm. um because you didn't really have a lot of that you know the cosby show obviously and then you went to like the proud family had the first animation but then just to see you guys and going through all the things you went through, dealing with the, you know, <laughs> with TJ, all that stuff. So um, I want to get into like how you got that role. And um, and then also ask at the end of that, what was your favorite moment on set? Um, well, the role was a bit of a process. Um, I had come close on four series within a 10 day period and didn't get any of them. Wow. So emotionally, I was kind of worn out by the time I went into smart guy. Right. And so I had all of these reasons why I didn't want to do it. But, you know, that I just didn't think I was right for it. So I right. sat out, I kind of read the script out in the lobby, you know, first off, I hadn't read the script till I got there. Mm. Uh, sat out in the lobby, read the script, then came to the casting director who, you know, I worked with several times before and said, hey, Monica, you know what? I'm too young for this. You know, they want somebody who's going to be the dad of teenagers. I'm like in my early 30s. This is going to work. So I don't want to uh, waste everybody's time. You know, I'm ready to leave already. <laughs> and uh, she was like, well, listen, uh, thank you for thinking of us. And why don't you let them decide that for you? Right. And I said, oh, all right. So I go, <laughs> and I sit down, I start reading through the script some more. And there was a, uh, a monologue in there um, where I'm talking to him about, you know, he's not fitting in and, you know, but you don't need to fit in. You're special and you're really smart. And so you got to know who you are. The, the odd thing was that I had just had this conversation with my own son, who was mm. a couple of years older than Tosh. Um, but it, it was all not word for word, but intention for intention. It was everything I had just said to my son. And being tired enough of this process, I just said, hey, I ain't trying to make this funny. It ain't even funny to me. So I'm just, I'm just going to walk in here and say it like I said it to my son. And... I guess I was the first one in the room. And according to Suzanne DePass, they never considered anybody else. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Although I mean, it, was, it was meant for you. <laughs> the day of my network test, my manager called me the night before and said, uh -huh. oh, okay, we don't want you to freak out, but uh, they want to test Mr. T against you. I said, what? Mr. T. <laughs> I said, what? What? what you, Mr. T, like, you know, I pay the food, that Mr. T? Right. 
They said, yeah, they want to see him test for the role. I said, oh, all right. Well, you know, ain't nothing I can do about that. Because I figured that uh, if they wanted Mr. T, they definitely didn't want me. And so I don't really have right. anything to concern myself with. And, you know, and so it didn't bother me. So I went to the audition. And when I got there, Mr. T was standing outside. I was like, hey, Mr. T, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> and then I caught myself like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm supposed to be going to audition. And I'm like out here juicing him. Like, you know, it's fucking Mr. T. He's sitting right in front right. of me. It doesn't happen very often in people's lives. Right. That you walk in someplace and Mr. T is sitting there, right? So, uh, <laughs> so uh, I had to excuse myself and go to the bathroom and have a talk with myself, you know, and say, hey, look, this is your time. This is your day. This is your moment. Mr. T already had his moment. Your moment is right now. So you're going to go in there and right. give it to him like it's your moment and claim the moment for yourself. And, uh, and I went in and did just that. Nice. Wow. Mr. T, though, that would have been a whole different show. A whole different show. show. Wow, that's incredible. And so so what was one of your your favorite uh, uh, moments on set? I'm sure there's a lot. Um, There were a lot of them. Um, One of my, I guess I, I would describe it more like favorite episodes okay um, because the moments on set were really fun all the time right like it was really fun working with Taj at that age because he was really mature he was like a little grown person and so you could play back and forth and you could you know uh, explore and, ex- you know, explore new possibilities for the blocking because he was like, he was like a little grown person. And so right. it was always fun on set. I mean, uh, Essence Atkins was so much fun. She was kind of the, yeah. you know, even the, she was the most mature out of everybody, including me. Right, and she was over nineteen. <laughs> I can see that. Um, <laughs> and so that dynamic wasn't that you were seeing. It was really like that. Essence was kind of the most mature. Omar was probably the funniest. Um, Jason was still uh, deeply involved in the music world. You know, he was building a studio in Atlanta, taking his his. He was building a studio in Atlanta and helping to produce some artists that have come out since then. So there was a lot that was going on and everybody kind of had their own thing that they were really happy with, you know? Um, So probably my favorite episode was the, uh, the mission impossible episode where they uh, messed up the boys mural at school. I think they girls. So the boys went and broke into their, um, to their uh, school and drop Taj in like Mission Impossible. Um, right, got, yeah, I remember that one. Got on the computer and, you know, changed their grades around or something like that. And then Mo uh, ended no. up leaving uh, a note from his desk. He said, how do you know it's mine? I said, because it says from the desk of Morris Tibbs. 
you know? So, uh, <laughs> wow. That's so good. yeah, that was, that, that was one you, of my favorites. Do you still uh, have a good relationship with uh, most of the people on, on, on that cast? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, we oh. all have a good relationship. Um, we're all kind of, you know, busy doing our own things and everybody's pretty successful. Right. Um, we're talking about a, uh, a reboot of smart guy right now. Hey, come on. So, you know, there's been a lot of kind of interest in that, uh, uh, throughout the, um, the, the online world. Um, so okay. we're in discussions about it right now and, you know, we'll see where that goes. If that were to happen, don't get me too excited now, but if that were to happen, <laughs> uh, what, what's something that you would like? your character had to have brought to the table what would be different about your character uh in terms of the story well you know um everybody's older and they would right. all be adults at this point um and so i could be more of a uh a fun loving adult myself who also still has you know some dad wisdom Right. But I'm not a I'm not a single dad anymore. Mm -hmm. right? I'm a grown and sexy adult. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm a grown and sexy entrepreneur. Right, right. <laughs> That's what's up. And I did, you know, one of the biggest things I also loved about the show as well is that you know it showed a single dad, a single black dad, um, holding it down and really yeah. being there for the family. So that was something that I really outside of all the craziness and the funny jokes, that was something that was also really, uh, that really spoke volume to me. Um, so then we got In the Cut, uh, which your character in the cut is, 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 a, is a mess. Yeah, he's a mess. <laughs> um, what's, what, what's something that you love about your character in In the Cut? Um, I love that, uh, that he, has a sense of innocence about him, mm. right? That looks stupid, but he redeems himself in so many ways that we know the character's not stupid. Right. But he does have an innocent perspective that makes him funny because he thinks of stuff that nobody else is thinking. Mm -hmm. His mind <laughs> doesn't work like anybody else's mind on that show. Right, no one else. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of the real, uh, the real fun of the role um, is that, uh, that I get to let loose and be the funny guy. Yeah. Which in my comedy career, there's always two parts to comedy unless you're standing out there alone. There's the guy who's dropping the punchlines and getting all the laughs. And then there's a guy who's setting up the punchlines so that they can be delivered in the proper timing to get the biggest laugh. Right. And there's probably more guys that can drop the punchline than there are guys that can set it up. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, you know, trained at Second City Theater in Chicago and uh, am very good at setting up other people's jokes. Mm. You know, like, like a point guard in yeah. basketball. You got to right. give them the ball at the right time in the right place for the man to score. Right. Um, and so that's one of the things that I do really well. 
And so in my time through Hollywood, um, my, there was always a space, there was always a line for the guy that could set up the jokes for the star, right? And so, yeah. and I didn't mind playing in that space for most of the time um, and, uh, and did very well. And then finally, Smitty came along on In the Cut and they gave me an opportunity to play the other side. You know, so I became the guy that was dropping the punch lines, which, uh, which I like, you know, I'm good at that too. Yeah, yeah it's definitely, I mean, you get a lot of time to, to, to improv and do all that fun stuff on set, right? Yeah, well, In the Cut is shot at such a rapid pace that mm. uh, not only do you have to learn the lines, but you got to be ready to improvise because you're not going to get that many takes. So right. some stuff you just got to roll with. <laughs> right? And it's going to come in on camera. It's going to be in the right. show. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> um, so before we get into Paradise Lost uh, and wrap up the interview, I um, just want to touch on the morning show um, with good old <laughs> Steve Krupp. So <laughs> how's, how's that for you? Uh, How's that dynamic on that show? Because uh, you know it's a little, it's a different pace. Oh yeah, no, it's it's different. You know, the morning show is really shot like a feature film, right? Right. So, uh, feature film acting is different from obviously from sitcom acting, um, and uh, and in this piece, um, I'm playing um, Reese Witherspoon's. Uh, executive producer at a small television network, uh, you know, like in West Virginia or something. Right. And um, and she goes out to a protest at the coal mine and gets into it with some coal uh, uh, guy who's uh, who's protesting out there and just roasts him, just goes off on him, and somebody catches it on their cell phone. Uh and posts it, and by the time she gets back to the network, it's got 500,000 hits. Man, wow. And I'm like, yo, <laughs> we gotta talk. <laughs> and so, uh, and that, you know, the conversation um, ends up as a big argument, and then the argument ends up with her quitting. Right. Which propels her to New York, and things happen when she's in New York where she becomes, you know, the host of the morning show. Wow. But it is, the morning show is actually my favorite television show of this entire season. Wow. It's so current and it's so well-conceived um, and well-executed because there's this uh, a bevy of main characters who you get to know each and every one of them and what each and every one of their dilemmas is. And it's done in such a, a, a succinct way that it doesn't feel like that's what's happening. You're just watching the piece. Right. But before long, you know everybody and all their stuff, right? 
and then it starts peeling back. So now that you know them, we're going to start surprising you with new things about them that you didn't know that's going to make you go, oh, shit, that changes everything. Right. So now you thought you knew what was going on, and now you realize you really don't. And then, boom, it resolves. Boom, end of season. <laughs> wow. And it's like, damn. So at the end of season one, you are definitely primed for what's going to happen in season two. Hey, it's like okay. this ain't over. This ain't hey, hey. So, <laughs> There's more. Yeah, yeah a lot okay. of fun. A lot of fun. And so uh, for Paradise Lost, I have uh, one question. Um, you know, it's coming up. The premiere is April 13th. What is something that this show can bring to television that has never been seen before? That is an interesting question. Um, to be honest, I don't know what it brings that's never been seen before. Mm -hmm. um, what I can tell you is that um, what it brings is deeply compelling from, uh, from a human um, socio personality dynamic um, because the people that are in there are all sort of, you know, twisted, right? Your lead characters are a little twisted. The off leads are a little twisted. You could tell things are a little twisted. They're living in this twisted little town. The only person who sees, the only people who seem kind of honest is the guy who's in jail and the person who's trying to get him out. Everybody else looks kind of twisted. Mm, okay. Right? right? And and in that case, as you sit with it, it's more of a slow kind of unveiling where you find out why they're twisted. And it's like, oh, that's, oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's bad. Okay. Right? And you get deeper into it, and it's just this dark, twisted town with, you know, you think it's one secret, but then it's like secrets upon secrets upon secrets that people right. have been carrying and acting like they're not there. So what you see on the surface is all that kind of Southern hospitality. Hey, y'all. Mm -hmm. Come on in and see <laughs> Right. But inside it's twisted. And as you get behind that, you find out how twisted it is. Wow. And it's like, whoa. So uh, again, I found that to be uh, incredibly, compelling. incredibly All right. compelling. Looking forward to it. So we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the interview. Um, okay. I have four four questions to, to to ask you. Okay, this is a rapid question. So oh. On the fifth floor. Uh, <laughs> so first thing that comes to mind, okay? First thing. Here we go. What's your four questions, okay? First thing that comes to, to your mind. So, <laughs> so what's your favorite word? Uh, entonces. Entonces. <laughs> entonces. Okay, all right. <laughs> It's just What's one of the, the words that you say it, and it just sounds sexy, right? It just sounds <laughs> So what's uh, what's a noise or a sound that you love? Ooh. 
<laughs> um, the sound of rain on my window mm. when I ain't got to go to work. Hey, right? When <laughs> you ain't got to go to work. That's the go to work. <laughs> All right. Uh, what profession other than your own would you love to do? Um, I think I would love to be a baseball player. Oh, okay. I think that would be fun. It's like, you know, you ain't got to run a lot. Right, right. I'm running to, you know, so it's okay. I like that. <laughs> okay. And last but not least, heaven's real. You get up to God. What'd you like to hear, to hear him say to you? <clears throat> Where you been, dog? We've been waiting on you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Turn it up. Ah, <laughs> uh, nice. A good one to end on. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, John Marshall Jones has been a pleasure. Thank you for coming and uh, chatting with me. Uh, we look forward to Paradise Lost and everything else you have coming up. Please go ahead and tell everyone uh, how to uh, follow you on social, me um, social media and all that good stuff and uh, tell them where they can find you. All right. So before I go, I want to get in a plug um, for uh, the mentorship program that I work with. It's called Kappa League. Mm. Uh, and you can find us at kappaleague.tv. Uh, Kappa League is the oldest and most successful African-American male mentorship program in United States history. Wow. It was founded in 1922. In 2022 is our 100th anniversary. And to uh, celebrate that, uh, we have made a pledge to get 140,000 young black men admitted into college between 2022 and 2032. Uh, and again, wow. you can find us at kappaleague.tv. And we have a YouTube channel, which is videos of all the good works that these young black men are doing. These you know, 15, 16 year old kids are putting up their own news reports, sitting at the anchor desk, going out in the field with the, with the camera and interviewing people. Um, they're also creating uh, uh, compilation videos of the events that they do in the community. Um, and so it's real uplifting programming and you uh, get an opportunity to see what an impact mentorship can make on a community when you give it a chance. That's awesome. And you can catch me uh, on IG at John Marshall Jones. And, um, you know, love for you to come and follow me on IG. Uh, and I'll definitely be posting. And, um, you know, once a week, we'll try to do a video drop just to on IGTV, just to let you guys know what's going on. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you all for watching. I'm your boy. You can find me everywhere at I am Danny Royce. We'll see you next week. Same place, same time. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay in, and we'll see you next week. Stay blessed. On behalf of our BHL staff, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Black Hollywood Live, the world's first digital broadcast network devoted entirely to urban entertainment and pop culture. Check out our Black Hollywood Live YouTube page for even more great programming and amazing content. And be sure to subscribe and like our channel when you do. I'm your BHL host, Nakia Monet, and you can find me on all social media at Kiki Boom Boom or at Black Hollywood Live. Black Hollywood Live, Hollywood redefined.